Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. We are starting a brand new series today. We are starting a new series that we're calling For the Culture, and I am so jacked up about it. I am so excited about this new series. We are going to be taking several weeks to have a series of messages, a series of topics here where we are talking about the culture of the kingdom, talking about the culture that God came to announce to us, the culture that he came to lead us in and to guide us in. I want to encourage you to lean in over these next few weeks because there is just, I believe, something that God is going to be speaking to us. My goal for today, which is not normally my goal, but my goal for today is to mainly stick to my notes because I am just so jacked up about this and there is so much to say on it that if I get lost, we'll be here for a very long time. So we're going to stay focused. We're going to work together to stay focused today. We're going to lean in to what God is saying because I am just so excited about this idea that God has a culture that he wants us to live in, that he has a culture, a way of doing things. That's what culture is, right? Every domain in the world has its own culture. Every functioning, you know, community, city, group of people, everywhere where there is rulership in the world, there is a way that things are done there. There's just assumed norms about our culture. We have all kinds of assumed norms about our culture. It's part of what makes discussing and explaining culture to other people so difficult is that it's the normal way that you do things to you when that's your culture. It's confusing to explain to someone how we do things here because it's just how you assume things should be done. It's just how you assume life works. It's just how you assume people interact. It's just how you assume you should engage with others. It's just how you assume that society operates. Culture has to do with all of our assumed norms. I know so many of you grew up somewhere different than here. Maybe we're born in a different country. Maybe I'd love to see, actually, if you were born somewhere else besides the United States of America and you're in the room, could you just stand on your feet real, real quick? If you're online, just drop it in the chat and let us know. Come on, look at all of these people who were born somewhere different. You can go find them after service and talk to them about how confusing. Thank you guys so much. American culture can be to move into that. I found a list on um, this like student website. This is what I'm talking about when I talk about culture. For students who are transitioning from foreign countries into the U.S. of 10 cultural things that they think that these students should know. This is what I mean. These are things that many of us would not think to explain to someone because to us, this is just kind of how life works. The first one is say please. When you want something, say please. That's not common in all cultures, certainly not to the amount. We use it in the U.S. for like everything. Could you please hand me that water? Could you please pass me the salt? Could you please move out of my way? Every culture doesn't do that. Say thank you. Say thank you often and regularly. And this is the part that is distinctly American. Even for insignificant things. 
In many cultures, the idea of expressing thank you is reserved for something really meaningful. So it seems funny to them to say thank you for passing me the salt. Now that I've said please, will you pass me the salt? So it's, it needs to be explained to them. Hey, when someone does even little things, if you're in America, it's a, it's a, a normal way of culture to say thank you for those things. Say sorry all the time. Like, as much as you can, just say sorry. I'm sorry that I bumped you. I'm sorry that you're sad today. That was a funny thing they pointed out, that we say sorry for things that have nothing to do with us. Someone comes up to you and tells you, oh, I had a cold last week, and we're like, I'm so sorry. Why are you sorry, right? Some of you who grew up somewhere else are laughing especially hard right now, I know. That when you meet someone new, you say hello, or it's nice to meet you, that that's the appropriate response in greeting to someone, that you should cover your mouth when you cough, that when you meet someone, you shake hands with this person. You shake hands and say, it's nice to meet you. And in this one, they even gave some optional alternatives because there are cultures that are different than our own culture where it's not acceptable to shake hands with someone that you don't know or particularly where it's not culturally acceptable to shake hands with a, fam with a person of a different gender who's not from your family. So that would be something dramatically different for someone trying to assimilate into American culture. So these rules are pre-COVID, but one of the ones they gave them is that you should stand about a foot away from someone if you're speaking to them. If you grew up somewhere else or if you've done a lot of travel into other parts of the world, you know that people in other countries often stand much closer together than we do as Americans. As Americans, we expect a certain amount of like personal circumference around us, and it's not considered rude in some cultures to stand right up on somebody. So they were breaking that down for these students. Hey, if you come right up four inches within somebody in America, most of them are going to go like, I need you to back up, bro. A little bit too close for me, right? But culturally, for us, that would be considered rude or inconsiderate. So someone is having to assimilate into that, that you should look people in the eyes when you speak to them. And this one they really had to break down because the opposite is true in a lot of other cultures in the world or in many other cultures in the world. I started thinking about, you know, our kids are kind of in those like real like training ages right now. So I find myself saying the phrase a lot, look me in the eyes when I'm talking to you. Because in America, that's a way that we show respect. But in some cultures, it's a sign of disrespect to look someone directly in their eyes, especially someone who is like your superior or your elder. It would be considered. So I started imagining some mother in some other part of the world disciplining her child and being like, don't you look at me in the eyes while I'm talking to you. Me and this poor mom are having a completely opposite experience, both of us trying to rear children well and respectfully for the cultural context that we find ourselves in. That in America, we have learned to stand in lines, that we are trained from early on when you're moving between points in a group of people, you should line up. We're slightly less good at this than our British counterparts who are like taught to cue, I think, like straight from the womb. But mostly in America, we queue up. If you travel to other parts of the world, I know when Phil was in India, for example, it's much more common for people just to kind of mob up together around the space rather than creating an individual line. That is the cultural norm. These are things that you would not expect to explain. You wouldn't explain to someone, oh, now when you go to the grocery store, you should line up in a line on your way when you're waiting to, to check out. But because your mind just thinks, that's, of course, that's just how 
that works. That's just the way that you leave the grocery store. But this, if this isn't the culture that you've grown up in, the last one that they gave is that it is culturally normal for people to hold a door for each other in the United States. If you see someone coming, it's normal for you to hold that door and wait for this person, right? You don't necessarily even think about it anymore. It's just part of what you do. You walk through a door and you take a quick shoulder check to see, is anyone coming? And you pray to God they're not in that awkward space where you're like, oh gosh, you're like close enough that maybe I should hold the door, but far enough away that like I'm really gonna have to wait here for you. But then you probably wait because culturally, that's just what we do. And there are other cultures where they would be like, why are you standing at that door waiting for that person? Just leave already. Who wants to transition to that culture? Come on. All right, come on, no. But what I'm saying is it's difficult to define culture. It's difficult to articulate it. It's difficult to explain it to someone else because culture is just how we do things. It's just the way that we think things should be done. It's just the way that we're used to doing things around here. And there can be this idea of culture shock. You know, part of what Phil and I did at one point, he did much more of it than I did, but when we were in Australia, we worked with people who were um, like asylum seekers. They were seeking refuge from foreign countries into Australia. Now, moving from the United States to Australia, you wouldn't experience a lot of culture shock. There are some slight cultural differences between the United States and between Australia. For example, Australia is a very casual culture much more casual. It would not be uncommon or out of place or disrespectful for students to refer to their teachers by their first names rather than by Mr. or Mrs. And I know I felt like half of you went like, <gasps> because in your cultural context, that would be incredibly disrespectful if your student came home talking about, oh, Karen, my teacher, she said you would be like, who? Your who, but Australia is just a much more casual culture and it is completely respectful for students to interact with their teachers in that way. There are some differences, but generally, we have a very similar culture. However, these people who were seeking asylum, many of them were coming from Southeast Asia and throughout the Middle East from dramatically different cultures than what they were planning to experience in Australia. So part of what we did is we would take them through these assimilation courses and try to break down for them what this experience is going to be like when you get into Australia, what kinds of things you can expect when you get into Australia. We would ask them questions about how do things work where you are so we could understand the culture they were coming from and help them understand what was gonna be different or what was gonna be the same about the culture they were moving into. Because without that, that's where culture shock comes in. You're already going to have some culture transition. You're already going to have some culture change. But what we were trying to do is limit and minimize the culture shock when you move into a space that is so drastically different from anything that you have known, that's so dramatically different from the thing that you have experienced for your entire life, where all of your assumptions no longer make sense. Your mind starts fritzing. Your body starts having physical reactions because you don't quite know what to 
to do and you can't quite find yourself in the space that you're in now. And so we helped to want to transition people into this space. This is why Jesus spent so much of his time talking about the kingdom of God talking about the kingdom of heaven. He was trying to articulate for people what this kingdom is like, what the culture of this kingdom is gonna be like. He spent time trying to explain to them, trying to give them pictures, trying to paint the tapestry for them of what the kingdom of heaven looks like, what the kingdom of heaven feels like, what the kingdom of heaven sounds like, how we move in the kingdom of heaven, how we operate in the kingdom of heaven. He was trying to to announce to them that this is the reason that I came. This is the thing that I came for. This is the thing that I'm trying to draw you into. He was taking them through an assimilation course of the kingdom that they had been living in and the kingdom that he was coming to announce. And Jesus' message that he came to announce is that he is the king and the kingdom is here. That the kingdom has Arrived When he stepped on the scene, he was coming to announce that the kingdom has arrived. This is the message that he came carrying, that he is the king, that he is the king of this kingdom. Jesus didn't come to announce himself as a political leader though many of them wished that he would have. The Jews found themselves under political persecution at the time, found themselves oppressed by the ruling government, and there were many hoping and believing that when the Messiah came, he would come as a political leader that would establish his new politics, that would establish his new way of leading and of governing. And when Jesus stepped on the scene, he said, I didn't really come to be a political leader for you. I didn't really come to set laws and regulations in place Place for you. I didn't really come to pass bills for you. I didn't really come to sit in a seat of democracy or sit in a seat of anyone else. I came as a king, and there are many today who are still wishing, who are still hoping, who are still trying to get Jesus to fit into the spot of a political leader, and they're trying to bring him down out of his role of king of kings and lord of lords to fit inside their party context and try and make him fit on a red side or or a blue side, or a right side, or a left side, but Jesus did not come for our politics. He came to announce that he was king. He didn't even come to be a moral leader. Though he is moral, though he is the embodiment of righteousness, though he is the one and only who can teach us the right way, the righteous path to walk in and to live in, many have tried to make him a moral teacher sitting among the other moral teachers, but Jesus' ways ascend that in such a higher level. He came to be the king. He didn't come to be a moral leader, and he didn't even come to be a religious leader. He didn't come to set up a religion for us. He didn't come to set up a religion that he would be the new leader of where we could go to a tent again and worship. No, Jesus came to announce the dominion of his kingdom and establish relationship with his people. He didn't come for religion. He came for a relationship in the new way of living that he was establishing. He came to establish a relationship with the people of his kingdom. 
over the next several weeks, we are going to be talking about what that looks like. What does it look like to be part of the way that Jesus wants us to live, the kingdom culture that he has come? And we're going to be asking the question, what culture are we living for? Are you living for the culture of this moment? Are you living for the culture of your background? Are you living for the culture of your community? Or are you living for the culture of the king? Are you living for the culture of heaven? I want you to turn, if you will, with me to Matthew chapter 4. This is going to be our core text. What I want to really lay out, we're really just going to crack this open today. We're not even going to kind of dig into the flesh of it. We're just going to get it started. But this is something I want you to get buried in your heart. Matthew 4 and 17. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is his message. John the Baptist has just been arrested and Jesus begins his preaching ministry. He steps into the space where he is now beginning a new part of his ministry. And it says, from that time, from that time, it means there is a distinct change in what Jesus had been doing and what Jesus now steps himself into. He moved from just one space into another. He is stepping into a new space of his active preaching ministry, and he is changing from this time and this space into a new time and a new space from the time when John was arrested. From that time, it says Jesus began to do and to preach. And I have to wonder if there are times that you are missing in your life right now that like Jesus God is saying this season was good this season was preparation this season I laid out for you for a reason but now is a from that time moment for you now is a from that time moment for your family where it's time for you to step from the thing that was into the thing that now is and to begin to enter into the next phase of what I have for you the next phase of my assignment for you, the next phase of glory that there is for you. From that time, Jesus moved from what he was doing into what he then became to do. And it says he began to preach. means he began to proclaim his message. He began to declare the thing that he came to declare. It's not just the same as teaching, though there are other portions where it talks about teaching, that the word that is used there isn't that Jesus began to teach. It can't be translated as that. No, it has much more of a declarative impetus to it. It has much more of a powerful push behind it. It is that Jesus came to begin to proclaim the message that he came, and it has with it this understanding that it is the primary thing that he came to talk about. It is the primary message that he held. It is the primary thing that he came. If you read throughout the Gospels, part of what I want to lay out for you today is that this is the thing that Jesus came to declare. We want to attach a lot of other things to his name. We want to attach a lot of other beliefs to his name. But the thing that he came to declare is that he is the king and the kingdom is now at hand. And he began to lay out what is it that this kingdom looks like. It says, from that time, he began to preach. What did he begin to preach? He said, repent. 
It is the first word out of the mouth of Jesus when he begins to preach. Repent is the first thing that he says. Now the word repent doesn't have tagged on it all of the cultural things that you've added onto it today. It doesn't mean feel guilty. It doesn't mean have shame heaped upon you. It doesn't mean condemnation for all of the things that you think that you've done wrong or all of the ways that you've walked away from what somebody told you it meant to look like what God was supposed to have for you in your life. No, it doesn't have all of that that we have culturally added onto it. That is not what Jesus meant inside of his kingdom. It means turn from one way and walk in another way. It means let go of what was and take hold of what is. He told them, repent, change your mind, change your direction, reroute your life towards the way that I'm getting ready to explain to you. Stop going in your own way. Stop going in your own mind. Stop going out of your own insight and start going in the way that I am going to explain to you. Start going in the direction that I have for you. Start going in the way of the relationships I'm going to tell you about. Start going in the way of how you interact with one another that I'm going to teach you about. Start going in the way of economics that I'm going to lay out for you. Stop go, start going in the way that Jesus is going to explain to us. It's why the early church didn't call themselves any kind of religion. They simply said, we don't totally know what to call this. We just know that we are trying to live in the way that the king explained to us. And they called themselves followers of the way. They are those who walked in the way of Jesus. They are those who walked in the way that the king laid out for them. They are those who walked in the way, in the culture, in the norms of the things that Jesus began to explain to them. Because when he told them repent, he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the domain and the rulership of the king, the space where the king has dominion of heaven. Some of your translations say of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. It means where it originated from, where this culture gets its fabric from, where this culture gets its DNA from, this culture of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is here. It is available. You can reach it. You can touch it. It is part of what you can do with your life. You can get up on the inside of it. It's now. It's not far off. It's not distant. It's not in the future someday if we might hopefully make it to the kingdom is here. It is at hand. And this is what Jesus came to talk about, that the kingdom is here. The kingdom is at hand. And you have to continue asking, what culture am I? living for? Am I living for the culture that surrounds me every day or am I living for the culture of a kingdom? This is the culture that he came to establish. This is the message that he came to proclaim. This is so central to what Jesus was talking about. Every single one of the gospel writers talks about the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here is the kingdom. This is Jesus' central message. Mark gets straight to it in true Mark style. Mark chapter one, verse 14 and 15. Mark does not have any time to play around. He wants to get to the message. It says, now, 
after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Come on. Luke takes a little bit longer, which if you've read the Gospel of Luke, you know Luke doesn't just include Jesus' birth, and he doesn't even just include John the Baptist's birth. He goes back even farther and talks about how John the Baptist's parents became pregnant with John. Luke loves, a, like if you love a detail, you should read the Gospel of Luke. So it takes Luke until the end of chapter 4, Luke 4 and 43. It says, but he said to them, I must Preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. I was sent for this purpose. This is the purpose that he came for. Now, John always makes you work for it a little bit more because he loves flowery language and poetic pictures, and you got to kind of search through it sometimes. But John chapter 3 and 3, Jesus answered him saying, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus, time and time again, is announcing the kingdom is here and it is at hand. It is available to those who would believe. It is available to all who want access. It is available to all of us because it is now. Stop waiting for the kingdom. Stop hoping for the kingdom. Stop praying for the kingdom to arrive. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is manifest. Make it available where you are. You don't have to pray that it might come. You make it come where you are. I'm getting ahead of myself, but the kingdom of God is here. If we have have a king and we have a kingdom if this is the message that Jesus came to announce there are some things we need to understand about it what it means to live in a kingdom I want us over the next little while to really focus on this what does it mean to be a member of a kingdom it's difficult for us to grasp fully as Americans because we don't live in in a kingdom we haven't grown up in a kingdom. We've grown up in a democratic society that says that my word is what makes it so, and my vote is what changes the laws, and my say is what makes the, the systems and the culture and the establishment. But in a kingdom, there has to be a monarch. There has to be a king. There has to be a king that sets the rules and the establishments. In this kingdom, Jesus is the king. In this kingdom, Jesus is the one who is seated. Jesus is the one who rules and who reigns. And they didn't understand it fully. It's what they took him to the cross for because he didn't look like the kings that they had known. And he didn't act like the kings that they had known before because Jesus was an entirely new kind of king establishing an entirely new kind of kingdom. So they weren't quite sure what to do with him because he wasn't hidden away somewhere. He was out and accessible to the people. They didn't quite know what to do with him because he didn't spend his time wrapped in luxury. He spent his time out on the streets digging in dirt with people. This didn't look like a king that they had known. And because he didn't look like a king that they had known before, they mocked him and they put a crown of thorns on his head. But what they didn't know is that he was a king that was more powerful than any king they had ever seen before. That the kingdom that he came to establish was more powerful, was more prevalent, was more prevalent 
invasive than any kingdom that they had ever seen before, that he was the king of all kings, that he came to establish his kingdom. And the good news for you and I is that we don't make the rules in this kingdom. He does. He sets the culture of this kingdom. And he is altogether just, and he is altogether merciful, and he is altogether loving, and he is altogether gracious, and he is altogether generous in the way that he treats each and every one of us, and he has poured out his favor on our lives. To live in his kingdom is to live under the gracious, good, benevolent rulership of King Jesus, but we have to remember that we don't set the culture in this kingdom. He sets the culture in this kingdom. Because the other thing that every kingdom needs is a people. You have to have a people who are part of the kingdom. If you're a king without a people, you're not really a king. You're not really ruling anything. It's why the first thing we see Jesus do, he begins to proclaim his message, and then he begins to gather people unto himself, announcing that his kingdom has arrived and gathering people unto himself. And the good news is that there is access into this kingdom, that there is access into his citizenship, that there is access into it if you just come through the gate, which is King Jesus. When you accept who he is, you get to come into where he is. When you accept who he is, you get to come and be part of his people. He is that gate, and when we enter in through it, then we get to be part of his kingdom. And then, as his kingdom people, we establish his kingdom everywhere that we go. We have access to it through that rebirth that he referenced in John. And then he says, now that you are my people, you get to live inside of my my way of doing things. You get to live inside the way that I do things around here as part of my kingdom people. That's why this is our assimilation course. Over the next several weeks, whether you have been a decades-long decider to follow Jesus or whether you have recently just devoted your life to him or if you find yourself doubting whether or not he really is the king, we are going to discover what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. And then every kingdom needs a territory. You have to have a place where this kingdom exists. You have to have a space that this kingdom is. You have to know, am I in the kingdom or am I out of the kingdom? How, which rules apply here? Is it the kingdoms of heaven or the kingdoms of this world? And Jesus began to establish the territory of his kingdom. The territory of his kingdom is wherever his people are. Come on, we know that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So everywhere that his people go, he begins to establish his kingdom in that place. It's the same thing that he told the children of Israel where he said, wherever the soles of your feet go, that's where I'll be with you. Now that you are part of this kingdom, wherever you go, you become that ruler. He has made us joint rulers in his kingdom. He has made us those who establish his kingdom and make it known in a place. Wherever we go, he has decided to grant access to his kingdom through us. He has decided to make the culture and the way of his kingdom known in that place. Wherever his people go, wherever the citizens of his kingdom go, he has made us rulers. 
But this idea of rulership didn't start when he answered Nicodemus, and it didn't start even when he talked to the children of Israel. No, this idea, to find its origins, you'd have to go all the way to Genesis 1. In Genesis 1 and 28, it says, And God blessed them. I want you to read it, because sometimes scriptures that are familiar to us, we miss what God is doing in it. And God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and the birds of the air, and the heavens, and every living thing that moves on earth. What is this? This is kingdom language that he's establishing with them. This is rulership language. This is dominion language. This is reigning language. He said, when I created man and woman and I put them in the context of a garden, I put them there to be rulers of my kingdom on earth, to be rulers of my people on earth, to establish my way of doing things. He is announcing that his kingdom has come and that his kingdom culture should now be established and that this is not a a new thing that he's doing. It's a restoration of the thing that he always intended. He always intended for his people to be his rulers on earth, to be under rulers from him, establishing the way of the kingdom. It's even in the book of Revelation. It starts at the beginning and it ends all the way at the end that he is establishing his kingdom. Revelation 5 and 10 says, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on earth. They shall reign on earth. They shall reign where? on earth. God has sent us to reign in this place, not to wait and hold out for someday in glory that we might be magnified, that we might be known with him, that we might be seen. No, right here, right now on earth, he has called us to be rulers. He has called us to establish his kingdom way. He has called the people of God to rule and to reign on earth. And it is the responsibility of the citizens of the kingdom to establish the culture of the kingdom that God has spoken out over them. He is the king, so he sets the culture, and then he sets us in place as rulers under him, and he distributes us, and he sends us out into the earth, and he says, as I send you, and as I distribute you, you're not going to establish your culture. You're not going to establish your way of doing things. You're going on my behalf. You're my representative, and you are going out to establish my culture on earth, to establish my way of doing things on earth, to set people in alignment with with my thing. You are called a ruler of heaven. You are called a reigner on earth. You were sent. You were saved. You were drawn into his kingdom to establish his kingdom on earth. And I tell you what, if you are rulers and reigners under him, there are ways that royalty do things. And there are ways that royalty speak into things. And there are ways that royalty carry themselves. And there are ways that royalty think about themselves. And I think the people of God need to remember that you are a royalty, that you are joint heirs with Christ, that he has called you into his kingdom, and he has called you to establish something, and he has called you to set a culture, and he has called you to speak into things, and we need to come up out of this common way of living and live like royalty on heaven. Come up out of every Facebook comment. Come up out of every divisive conversation. Come up out of the culture you were raised in. Come up out of your own preferences. Come up out of your own way of doing 
doing things. Come up out of everything that tries to drag you down and step into rulership language. Step into reigning culture. Step into establishing a thing. Step into bringing his kingdom on earth. It's right here. It's at hand. The kingdom is here. But everywhere that you go, there's an access point into the kingdom. The question is, are you going to walk in and are you going to lean into the culture you've known? Are you going to walk in and say, I've grabbed a hold of a heavenly kingdom and I bring it right into this place. I establish it right into this place. There's a new way of connecting with each other. There's a new way of leaning into this conversation. There's a new thought, but you have to transform your mind. He has called us into something new. I'm mostly done for the day, so you should stand because it'll help me wrap up. Because I don't want to get in. If I go anymore, we're going to get into like a lot. We're going to be here for several weeks. But this is what I want us to know today as we crack this open. That he has called us to rule and to reign. He has called us. Jesus came to announce that his kingdom is here. That his way of doing things, his culture is here. And then he invited us into the process of being joint rulers with him in that kingdom, of being those who establish the way he does things on earth. That means we have to learn a new way of doing things. I want you to consider this series, your cultural assimilation course or your rulership training course, however you wanna think about it because we don't establish what we know. We don't establish how we think about things. We establish his way of doing things. And his way of doing things are dramatically different than the way we assume things should be done. That's why he teaches us line on line, example after example of a new way of doing things. He breaks down even the simplest things for us and says, hey, in this culture, when you pass the salt, you say thank you. Hey, in this culture, when someone persecutes you, you pray for them in response. That's how we do things here. So we're gonna learn a new way. Sometimes it's been called the upside down kingdom because it's so opposite in so many ways to the way that we think of things. There's nothing wrong with describing it that way if it helps you, but I like to think of it as the right side up kingdom because this is the way that God intended us to live together with abundance in mind, not worrying about what's gonna happen tomorrow. I love the scripture that Scott referenced earlier, not worrying about where is this coming from or where is that? No, abundance is the way of this culture. I really wanna encourage you, I know we all have things, but to be here as often as possible as we lean into this series because it is gonna build and we are gonna come out a transformed people who look more like heaven than like earth. Amen, church? Amen. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for sending your son Jesus. I thank you for your kingdom. I thank you that you have invited us into it. We ask you to teach us, to train us, to make us more like you. 
so we can establish your kingdom on earth. We thank you for it, God. Thank you for what you've spoken today. Let it take root in our lives. And I just speak a blessing over everyone who's part of this church, God, that you would begin to reveal to them. Do outside of Sunday what even more than what we can do when we gather as your revelation Holy Spirit leads us into seeing the kingdom of heaven that you have called us into we thank you for it in Jesus mighty name amen